The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that may result from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. Our podcast is bitchin'. And we're your friends, and friends don't lie. Woo, we're gonna talk about something so exciting today. Yep, I'm sure every other horror-related podcast is probably also doing an episode about this particular topic, but it's just so good. How can you not talk about, of course, the Netflix series Stranger Things? Woohoo! Yeah, so I'm absolutely in love with the show. I believe you are (laughs) as well. You know, I haven't talked to someone who has said, Stranger Things, I hate that show. I don't know a single person. Yeah, yeah, it seems like, you know, it's either people who just haven't really picked it up at all, you know, who who just kind of don't have any interest in, you know, kind of awesome, nostalgic sci-fi horror. And and so those people, you know, they just have kind of left it alone. But it seems like everyone who actually does pick it up seems to really fall in love with it. So yeah. I guess, why do you think it's so universally loved? Oh, I don't even know. That's such a huge question. I mean, I think maybe what makes it so effective as as a show is that it does an excellent job of telling a, a very strong story without a lot of diversion into just, you know, random nonsense like a lot of shows tend to do. And it has such strong, relatable characters that you can't help but love them and cheer for them, uh, no matter what's going on. And I think that, for me, is why this show kind of impacts most people, is there's somebody on the show that you're going to relate to no matter what. Whether it be the nerds, or, you know, kind of the geeky girl who wants to become popular. You know, there's something out there for everyone, and I think it really speaks to that part of us. I agree. And I find it really interesting that this show has kind of become the new show where people say, like, oh, I'm a whoever. Right, exactly. You know, exactly. like, that that's usually something that's kind of reserved more for, like, sitcoms. Like, oh, you know, I, oh, I'm a total Ross from Friends. Or, you know, I, I know uh, it was a big thing with Sex and the City uh, at some point, too. But I'm not really familiar with that show. So I wouldn't be able to tell I, was... any characters from that. I was just going to ask you, are you a big Sex in the City fan that I don't know about, Nathaniel? No, 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 no. But. <laughs> not, not How do you know this information, then? I just know that people have, you know, said like, oh, I'm such a whoever in, a, you know, in the setting of, you know, in a movie or something like that. Like, oh, yeah, I'm such a, I think Carrie is maybe one of the characters. I don't know. I just know that it was a Sex in the City reference, and I've heard it multiple times. The only Carrie I know is a very troubled girl who has psychokinetic powers and got pig's blood spilled all over her. Yeah. Good prom night. (laughs) Good prom night. Before we get too involved and before we word vomit all over everyone about Stranger Things, this is our fifth episode. Ooh. We're we're almost, or we're getting even closer to that, uh, what, seventh episode that we hit our stride on apparently that's what all of the internet research that i do in my free time tells me well we're almost there just two more episodes and we already know what next episode's gonna be 
That's right. As above, so below. Which was going to actually be this current episode, but we didn't do all the research we wanted to do, so we decided to push it back a, a couple weeks. Well, we watched the movie together a few days ago, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not the greatest horror movie of all time, but when you and I started to both kind of research the symbolism and behind the scenes of the movie, there's just so much. And so we really want to give our audience a good kind of detailed report of that movie and we just both kind of were feeling that we needed some more time to digest yeah yeah for sure so look forward to next episode because it's going to be awesome i'm so excited i'm excited as well but i'm also super stoked about this episode because like i said stranger things is one of my favorite things right now i can't stop talking about it i can't stop watching hilarious parodies of it on youtube i mean sesame street did a parody which was hysterical yeah that was amazing you sent that over to me and it was so funny yeah or like the peanuts one i really love Uh, there's there's just a ton of great parodies there's a ton of great stuff that you know the the fandom is is really enthusiastic and and has a lot of jokes out there i i've been absolutely loving just kind of digging into all of the, the humor that people have pulled from it so i think that's also one of the great things about stranger things is just that it kind of invites the fans to really participate and really have have a relationship with the show that a lot of things don't necessarily facilitate nearly as well and before i let you dive in feet first into stranger things dumb okay i want to just give a big happy holidays to all of our listeners we just had thanksgiving christmas is around the corner your life is busy my life is busy but we love doing this podcast and we love that people are interested in it and are listening to it. And so thank you. 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 Thank you as well. Um, I thought about making jokes about us doing a, an episode about thanks killing, which is a really oh, awful no. B horror movie about a evil Turkey that comes to life and starts killing everyone. I haven't seen it. I've seen the trailer. You know how I feel about B movies. <laughs> Some of them are great, but you have to, I think you should watch the trailer for it just to have an idea of how insane it is that I would even make a joke about it because it just looks terrible in the most hilarious but also just awful ways. So we're not going to subject you to something like a Thanksgiving episode. We're going to stick to um, something that's actually worth everybody's time, Stranger Things. But yeah, thank you for for listening to the show. Thank you for everything that you do to, to spread the word. You know, that's definitely our the, the gift to us uh, this holiday would be just, you know, the best thing that you could do is it's just let someone else know about it. Yeah, exactly. Give the gift that keeps on giving our podcast. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. As a chairman for Christmas, I have a hard time saying that, but I did it anyway. I, I think that that may deserve a round in the chair of cheer. Hmm. I believe so. The chair of cheer. We'll bring it out this year. Okay. Excellent. Christmas, though, is a nice segue because, you know, Winona Ryder uses Christmas lights to talk to Will in the Upside Down. So I planned this all along. Seamless transition. (laughs) Forewarning to all our listeners. There are some people out there who have not watched Stranger Things. And we are going, again to spoiler vomit all over this podcast. So if you have not watched Stranger Things Season 1, shame. If you have not watched Stranger Things Number 2, more shame. Well, 
I guess an equal amount of shame because you should just watch all of it. Ugh. It's all fantastic. I was at Thanksgiving dinner and my sister and her husband and I and my uncle and my aunt and my cousin and her husband, we were all talking about it. And my sister, my oldest sister looks at me and says, are you guys talking stranger things? Shut up. I don't want to hear anything about it. I haven't watched it yet. And I was just like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah. There's literally nothing more important. It's so true. And without further ado, let us walk into the upside down, Nathaniel. Okay. I guess just the first thing that would be interesting to me to talk about uh, relative to Stranger Things is just the fact that it is one of the best examples of kind of 80s nostalgia that I've seen recently. Um, We've definitely seen a lot of of nostalgia recently in in a lot of our uh, pop media. For example... We have a movie, Ready Player One, based on the book of the same name that's coming out soon that's being made by Spielberg. And that's basically just nostalgia. And so it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, things like that are dominating the market right now. There's so much that's throwing back to the 80s and the 90s. And this is definitely that. It's it's very, very influenced by early Spielberg and Stephen King and John Carpenter and it doesn't shy away from letting us know that. I mean, there's posters for the things that it's referencing. Well, and I, I want to kind of talk about that a little bit more in detail before we kind of go into the influences of Stranger Things is why is nostalgia so captivating for us? You know, this is hardcore 80s nostalgia kind of bleeding, starting to bleed into 90s nostalgia. What is it about the 80s and the 90s that keeps bringing us back? I mean, I think a lot of that really boils down to um, a lot of the filmmakers and you know, TV makers and writers that we're uh, having right now. A lot of them grew up in the 80s and the 90s. You know, they're our age or, you know, maybe a decade older than us. But they're the ones who are finally starting to make the stuff that we're consuming. And so, you know, the Duffer brothers, they're not that much older than us. And they god bless their souls yeah they're they're amazing uh, when i grow up i want to be a duffer brother <laughs> same uh, we'll both be the duffer brothers yes duffer brothers too <laughs> yeah exactly but yeah like they're they grew up with these things and they love ghostbusters and john carpenter movies and you know stephen king books and and stuff by spielberg and so they loved all of that so much that they kind of want to write a love letter to it and they're not the only ones i mean you know, we, we've had stuff like 60s and 70s nostalgia for a long time as well. But, you know, now that it's kind of moving to a new era of a new nostalgic period being represented, it feels like it's kind of a new thing to have nostalgia. But, I mean, how many shows were set in the 70s, you know, in the 90s and, and early 2000s? There's a lot of them. And- yeah, that's. I think that's very true. And I also just kind of think that there's something really magical about nostalgia and memories themselves. You know, mm-hmm. I think everyone who would contemplate, you know, we grew up in the 90s. I'm mean, born in 1990, grew up in the 90s. It was a simpler time. You know, we played outside more. We didn't have cell phones. We wrote letters to each other in class. I think there's an allure and something kind of very magical about that type of simplicity that kids nowadays don't really have you know they send a text and bada bing bada boom it's all done 
And, I mean, to be fair, I feel like every generation feels that way about their childhood. Absolutely, absolutely. I was going to say that as well, that, you know, everyone's childhood is the best generation ever. Yeah, and, and we, we see that, you know, time and time again, even with a lot of these makers that are being referenced by the Duffer Brothers. You know, Stephen King wrote It, set in the, in at least the children part, in the 60s when he was a child. It's very much his childhood that's kind of being represented. And so time and time again, we see childhood represented as being kind of this idealized version of it in, in certain ways, though obviously, you know, there's monsters and horrible things in both it and Stranger Things and so many of these different things. But but it you feel like, you know, as a child, you can kind of overcome anything. And, and I think it's really encouraging to have that sort of story available to you as as a, a young person and so i think that's why a lot of times as adults we go back and look back at our childhoods and say i was so brave I, I did crazy things that i would never do as an adult so it's kind of cool to explore what you know what those limits are you know when you were really at your boldest and you know least restrained point in your life absolutely i get that um, and to kind of morph from the nostalgia, again, I think what the Duffer brothers do so well in the show is they make, like we've mentioned, the characters are just ridiculously relatable. And I really like that kind of idea that you brought up about how this show, you know, people are attributing themselves to that certain character. You know, I, for example, am a complete Dustin. I think you are very much like Mike. Really? <laughs> I, 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 I frequently... I'm told that I'm a, a mix, mixture of Dustin and Lucas. Uh, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But I mean, do you agree? Am I a Dustin? Now I'm curious. <laughs> I would say a combination of Dustin and Mike. All right, I get that. But but yeah, but yeah, that's 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 the thing about the show is people can can relate to the characters on that kind of a level. Yeah, yeah, you can pull out really strong attributes, and and each character is so well fleshed out. You know, they're not just caricatures they're they're living breathing people that you believe when you're watching them on the screen that acting is fantastic and the writing is fantastic for those characters and they make you fall in love with characters that are i mean the example i'm thinking of is barb we get barb in season one we have her for two episodes and her death broke the internet she was in one episode she 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 disappears at the end of episode one that's right. That is right. I thought she was. She at least got two episodes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's hashtag justice for Barb, even still, and she is literally in one episode of the show. I mean, she appears again, you know, as a corpse, but as as a living, breathing character, she's in a single episode. Well, and I think it's fun that the Duffer Brothers recognized that that was going on, and so you know, season two there was a lot of push to have some you know, justice for Barb, and that was accomplished. Yeah, and, and I like that, I don't want to go too far into to season two yet, but I like that season two did a really good job of building off of what really worked in the first season, but still worked as its own kind of insular story as well. It 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 was a sequel, not just a continuation of the story. And, and I feel like a lot of shows, that's a problem in that, a lot of shows, you know, it, it ends with a cliffhanger at the end of season one, picks up, gets resolved in 10 minutes on at the first 10 minutes of season two and does that time and time again to keep you going. I, I like that it's Stranger Things 2, not Stranger Things season two, because it felt more like a sequel than a uh, second season. 
Yeah, I get that. Um, but again, the characters, like we're mentioning, Barb created this huge impact. Then we have Bob, kind of in Stranger Things Two. Muse. Who people, you know, people are calling Barb Two. Basically, they just have these amazing characters, and you relate to them on an emotional level, on a nerdy, geeky level, and it just it works extremely, extremely well. You know, I haven't. The only other show I've yelled at at my tv more than stranger things is game of thrones and you just it's such a great show well and and like that's a compliment to stranger things in a lot of ways in that you know you probably yelled at stranger things around as much and there was way less people uh, there's a much smaller number of people dying in stranger things it's true <laughs> i was more yelling at nancy to make better choices <laughs> that's fair especially in season one yeah, no kidding. So, do you want to maybe go into season one and talk about things we loved, things we didn't like, or do you feel like we should just keep broadening the horizon and talking about Stranger Things as a whole, or do you want to nitpick the seasons a little bit? What do you think? I think I want to kind of dig into to each season individually because I feel like they each have their own unique strengths and uh, occasional weak points. But I mean, I I gave it a ten out of ten on on imdb personally so uh i did as well it's such a good show yeah and so when i'm talking about weaknesses it's really sometimes it feels like i'm stretching a little bit too far yeah it's more just so we give a more well-rounded recording (laughs) yeah but yeah so season one i really love how it started with a bang like it really drew you in from the very beginning and it, you know, from the very first episode, you know, it, it started so powerfully and, and gave you enough to, to want you to keep going through that entire series. I mean, like I said, Barb dies in the first episode, and that's kind of cool. Well, and not just Barb, but Will goes missing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're introduced to the Nancy debacle. You meet the four kids in the very first opening scene, and they're just so fleshed out already. It's like, it's the kid down the street. You already know these people. Yeah. Or you were those people when you were growing up. Well, yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're you know, nerdy white guys, so <laughs> what can we say? We we identify with them very much. Yes. But, you know, I, I love that from the beginning, the, the world is so developed and their interests are so developed. You know, you, you see them playing D&D, they're hanging out, they're having a good time, and then, you know, this mysterious disappearance happens, and it's it starts out very relatable and, and fun, and you instantly fall in love with these characters, and then it very quickly brings in the conflict, but you instantly care about this conflict, because they do such a good job of having such dropped-in characters that you can relate to instantly well and i think a good part of season one too was it was very mysterious about what was going on you weren't really for sure positive if you know the demogorgon was this demogorgon or if there was something else kind of going on and so you know you've got your mystery buffs who you know like shows like this but then you also have your horror junkies like we are rooting for the supernatural and it just it pulls everyone in in such a great way yeah i mean it really was kind of a perfect blend of early spielberg with the you know et and the trappings of close encounters of the third kind and all of those sort of movies and then it also you know was a perfect blend of, of stephen king creepiness and Jar- john carpenter creepiness it, it felt very 
natural and compelling just from the the atmosphere that of the world you know the small town the just every character even though some of them are are very much you know feel like they're they're pulling from tropes they're still a very fleshed out character you know for example i'm going to give the example of hopper who very much feels like you know the one of the cops in jaws or something like that right and even though he feels you know kind of the gritty grizzled kind of cop character he still has a has a you know tragic backstory he still has a lot of heart he is the way he is for very relatable reasons and you love him for that even you know when he is at his weakest points and even when he makes mistakes you appreciate him more than a lot of times those other characters that you kind of see him build off of because they did a good job of making him somebody real and behind that too I mean, the actors and the actresses in this show are just so committed to making the best kind of art that they possibly can. Oh, yes. I mean, Millie Bobby Brown as Eleven and Winona Ryder as Joyce. I mean, they're just brilliant, brilliant acting is being done in this show. Yes, everyone is is fantastic. And like, I, so I've, I've watched a little bit of the Beyond Stranger Things uh, series that's on Netflix as well. Yep, same. Uh, I need to watch more because it's actually really compelling to watch just as a writer um, to, to kind of see, you know, what the Duffer brothers are saying about how they made the show and you know, what they were thinking of. But it's also just cool to see the, the perspective of these different uh, actors um, and to see their audition tapes and, and see how good those kids were and, and you know, kind of why the, the showrunners were, were drawn to choosing them specifically um, and, and, you know, the, the adult cast members as well, you know, David Harbour as Hopper. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Sean Austin as, as Bob, you know, all of these characters are, are so good at what they do. And, you know, each one did did a great job of, you know, kind of doing their research and doing everything that they had to do to really be dropped into their characters. So let's move on. And I mean, we've kind of talked a lot about how amazing the show is and wonderful. As far as the story itself goes, we've mentioned a lot that it, there's a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm two other kind of homages to you know good directors and good themes that occurred in the 80s but overall the story is hugely original i think yes i mean it it takes little elements that are are very familiar such as say you know a, a missing child you know we've all seen missing child stories before but it made it, it did it such a great job of making him so unreachable it 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 kind of stretched out every idea in such unique ways you know i mean there's there's teen drama there's tween drama there's <laughs> tween drama that sounds like my personal hell <laughs> but but you love stranger things <laughs> i do but a tween drama that just sounds ugh, well but sounds like a nightmare well but, i mean it, it's really about you know friendship and you know kind of figuring right, out right what friendship means and and what it means to actually support each other and care about each other and like that's very real and relatable, and so it, it takes all of these things, um, and and puts this through thread of this like really weird supernatural mystery w- involving kind of like psychic powers and this other dimension with these horrible monsters and kind of weird swampiness and you know all of this is all tied together in such a way that it, it pulls from the paranoia of the time, you know, with you know everyone being afraid of those those commies in Russia. Mm. 
Well, and it's not afraid to talk about those fears as well. Mm-hmm. Mike's dad is everything is the commies, the commies, the commies. Yeah, and 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 he you know considers himself to be you know a hardcore patriot for being so paranoid about that. On that line, I think we talked a lot about kind of the main characters, you know, Dustin, Mike, Will, Eleven, all of kind of the real story drivers, but there's also some incredible villains in the show. Oh yes. Um and villains that at sometimes you kind of want to root for them, but other times you want to punch them in the face. Uh and I think that's a good testament of to a true villain where it's not all evil a hundred percent evil. And I would say that the kind of moral ambiguity of the villains is a little bit less black and white than or in season two than it is in season one. True, I agree. Um, but it's definitely present in season one. I mean, it's it's the U.S. government is basically the villains, right? You know, they are the the face of of evil really in the show. The Demogorgon is kind of a mindless monster, right? While we have something a lot but... more sinister with the the creepy white haired man whose name is Doctor Brenner. Yeah, Brenner. Well, and I think that's, again, a testament to their evilness is, you know, you have the Demogorgon or the Mind Flayer who just kind of seem evil to be evil. And then you've got characters like Dr. Brennan, Brenner, excuse me, who they know what they're doing is not right, mm-hmm. but they're doing it, you know, for the greater good or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, you know, in season two, you know, you even have uh, Dr. Owens, who is little bit you know less on the sinister side of things than brenner but he still has his own agenda and he still does some things that really cause problems for our heroes exactly and so again you have these amazing heroes who you know make mistakes who are real people and then again you have these awesome villains who make mistakes and are real people Mm -hmm. and that's where the conflict lies yeah, and I feel like a lot of the conflict in the show does result from people not talking to each other, but it doesn't annoy me like it does in other shows. That's that's frequently, you know, the, the big problem, say, in a romantic comedy is, oh, if they could just talk to each other for 10 seconds, everything would be resolved. And then they finally, <laughs> you know, the big climax of the movie is they talk to each other and everything's resolved. Weird. And, Communication works? Yeah, and, and that's frequently referred to as, as an idiot plot. And so... That isn't present in Stranger Things because there's actual, like, logical reasons why they're not talking to each other. Because a lot of times, they don't realize that the other person has any information for them. Right. It's not just, oh, I'm not going to tell you that for vague, undefined reasons. It's because they each are kind of working in independent groups, and then they eventually, when they start realizing that those other groups are also involved in, in dealing with these forces at work when they finally unite that's when they overcome these issues and i think that's super cool to see how you know each one is working independently and then yeah when they come together as a whole you know the adults the teenagers and the uh the kids everything works and i i can totally see that as well something i i think that is actually really cool that i want to touch on is the the creatures of the upside down oh yeah that let's talk about the demogorgon and the mind flayer yeah i and and the demodogs. Yeah, the demodogs. Bless your heart, Dustin. Gan Mazarazzo, if you're if you're listening to this, you are my favorite. I think he's many people's favorite. He's a delight. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so I think that it's really cool that I'm going to talk about specifically the uh, the mind flayer. In that I 
I love the idea that it basically thinks that it is almost like benevolent in the way that it's um, trying to spread its influence. It basically feels like it is the most evolved, most enlightened being there is. And so if it basically incorporates everyone else into its uh, awareness, then it's it's doing basically the whole world a favor. I think that's such a cool idea for a villain. You know, a lot of times, you know, we just see these evil overlord kind of characters and, and feel like, oh, they just want to rule because they want power. This is kind of more like it's trying to spread its power throughout everything. It's It doesn't kind of see the worth of individuals, which is an interesting idea. Well, and I think that statement right there, it doesn't see the worth of individuals, is a powerful statement behind the evilness of the mind flayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I read an article this week researching Stranger Things where it was talking about how the mind flayer is very similar to, say, like a Voldemort character where you know he has this idea of what the world should be and no other view or no other opinion is correct and he will do anything it takes to achieve that goal and he's not quick about it you know i don't think the mind flayer is done at all oh no and and i i want to get into that more in a in a little bit where when we discuss what we expect the show to do next but yeah, I, I think the mind flayer is going to be very important going forward. You know, and I mean, that kind of leads us into the discussion of the Upside Down itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think the Upside Down is? I, I feel like it does. the show does a fairly good job of, of, of explaining that it is some sort of alternate dimension. Some, you know, version of reality where this sort of, you know, entity has, has taken over. But it's kind of unclear why it necessarily got to be that way. And why our our world is so different than than it? So would you say it's complete? Is it a different universe? Is it a parallel universe to our world? Because something mm-hmm. that always strikes me odd is when they go into the upside down. You see the same buildings, you see the same geological features, and so to me, I kind of feel like the upside down is, you know, say another parallel parallel. I can't talk this evening. A parallel world that maybe has gone through the apocalypse or has gone through some devastating type of a situation which has created creatures like the Mind Flayer or the Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. And where it is a parallel universe, it's now creeping into the present day one. Yeah, I mean, it has to be some sort of kind of dark mirror because you know you can go through it and then come back out in in the real world in, in a different location. Or, you know, with, with Eleven when she was being taught to basically how to, how to spy on Russian spies using her mind. You know, she was basically going through the Upside Down to a, a limited extent. And, you know, was getting information from our world through that. So I think that's a really interesting idea. It's, it's almost like a dark reflection. And, I mean, whatever apocalyptic event must have happened in that universe, it had to have happened really recently. Because, I mean, we see the arcade, we see the school... Yeah, we see a lot of these buildings. Oh my gosh, my mind just exploded. In that, like, it had to have, had to have been a recent thing. Yeah. Well, what if the whole kind of plot of Stranger Things is trying to prevent this future from happening? Mm-hmm. You know, or or maybe uh, and this is a, uh, this is a parallel universe where there aren't people like Eleven or Eight to stop it. Exactly. Exactly. And so, ah, yeah. So, we, so this is what happens. We need to call the Duffer Brothers. <laughs> Don't you remember? We are the Duffer Brothers, too. Yeah. Boom. 
Ugh, crazy. But yeah, so I, I, I mean, you know, if it is something apocalyptic in this universe, it, yeah, it had to have very recently happened. The Mind Flayer must have just recently arrived. And it didn't start out with Eleven seeing these kind of things when she was first learning how to use her powers. It kind of came on over time. Right, and, you know, especially through Season 2, her powers have definitely developed. Mm-hmm. There was that moment, I think, in Season 1 where Mike and Dustin were getting bullied and Mike was willing to jump off the ledge where she just snapped. And I think that snapping and that realizing... She snapped. Okay, I have that these kid's powers. arm. Oh, that was what's one of my favorite scenes of the entire show. Yeah. Because she just comes in, she's a badass, and she snaps his arm, and it's just, it's awesome. But I think, you know, realizing that, oh, I've got these powers, I can do something with these powers, is really going to play heavily, especially in season three, where in season two we met eight, or Kali, and that just opened the whole universe even more. Yes. I mean, definitely with a, a name like Eleven, it it does a lot to suggest that there's going to be a lot more to these kids with powers, but yeah, it was really cool to see another, see another one and see how her powers are work differently than 11's and then, you know, see how she kind of encouraged 11 to develop her powers even further. Exactly. Um, so let's, I feel like we're rambling and we're just going on so many different tangents and now there's time travel involved in parallel universes. <laughs> I'm not complaining. Yeah. Uh. The We talked a lot about the Mind Flayer and so if you feel like the Mind Flayer is this overall kind of intelligent being trying to take over and do what it wants, what would you say the Demogorgon and the Demodogs are to the Mind Flayer? Do you feel like they're kind of soldiers and slaves what did the Demogorgon try and do the same thing? To uh, me, they're kind of those mindless subservients who do what they're told. Yeah, I, I feel like in season two we kind of learn their role because I mean we definitely see the Demodogs serving the purposes of the Mind Flayer. You know, they're right. they're getting information for him. They're you know going and and obstructing it, you know things that could potentially harm the Mind Flayer. You know, they're definitely the serpents, and they're just you know little little demigorgons so basically yeah i feel like the demigorgon was just kind of wandering around it ran into 11 and kind of through you know the i guess lack of eyes but you know figurative eyes of the demigorgon the mind flayer became aware of our universe and you know became aware that there was a place that it could expand to i i agree with that and i i want to know more about kind of the purpose behind demodogs and how they turn into demogorgons and are demogorgons more you know intelligent than the dogs and kind of the whole system of the upside down i mean you could have a whole season and instead of stranger things we could just call it the upside down (laughs) yeah i I think it would be really interesting to see you know are they somehow connected to you know like are, are basically they what result once someone has been taken over fully by the by the mind flayer yeah you know, is it that's a really intriguing point. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, or or you know, maybe all life becomes them or yeah, are there other species in that other other world? It's it, there's a lot of questions that we still have um to ask about the upside down and I think that's part of what keeps it compelling is that there's always more to learn, always more to see and it just keeps developing and, and getting more interesting as it develops. Well, and I think another interesting feature about all of that is 
you know, there is the Mind Flayer and the Demogorgon are both Dungeons and Dragons monsters. Mm -hmm. And so if a new season is going to, you know, introduce anything else, it wouldn't surprise me again as if they pull some Dungeons and Dragons name and attribute it to one of the upside down monsters. Absolutely. I I think they're going to stick with that that uh, mold. And I think it's a fun idea. I mean, it definitely you know, contributes once again to the nostalgia of the show, but it gives us something that you know we can specifically point to and say, oh yeah, like this is kind of what it's built around, but it is its own kind of scary sci-fi version of that. Well, it also makes it relatable. You know, I know what a mind flayer is, and that's not because I play Dungeons and Dragons, but because the mind flayer is seen in expansive fantasy worlds. You always see some derivative of a mind flayer, mm-hmm. whether it is the tentacle face you know cthulhu looking mind flayer or if it's another another type i mean final fantasy 15 one of the biggest bosses that you can fight is a mind flayer and it's labeled mind flayer you know i did not know that but that's awesome the one last thing that i think is kind of cool just you know maybe a, a potential influence for the idea of the upside down is that it feels very similar in a lot of ways to uh certain silent hill games uh, either when you know the the fog rolls in in like the first game or when you like go through the mirror in Silent Hill Origins, for example, so it definitely has it has a lot of you know visual cues that are very similar to the the Silent Hill kind of dark world. I yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've never really thought of that. You're just whipping out so many Stranger Things bombs on me. My mind is exploding. Good. I still can't get over the fact that you know maybe the Upside Down is our world in the future if. Uh, uh, anyway <laughs> yeah or just you know another version that that didn't have a have a defense let's talk about some of the new characters that they added in especially in stranger things 2 primarily max and billy and bob i love bob i hated bob though at the beginning i totally thought bob was going to be a spy that he was some sort of plant to make sure joyce wasn't going to go crazy again we should also talk dr owens as well if we're gonna talk about the new characters valid valid point um, for me, I wasn't a huge fan of Max or Billy, honestly, and I, I don't really know why. It just kind of felt like there was a lot of angst and anger, and it didn't make sense. And yes, we kind of got an explanation of why Billy is so volatile. You know, there's the domestic abuse that's going on, and he's taking that out on Max. I don't know, Just it's one of the things that I just I didn't really quite understand right off the bat and it made me not want to root for her (laughs) okay i mean i i can see that i i really liked max i think that she is a a good contribution to the team i think she kind of pushes the team dynamics in interesting ways and kind of expands you know their skill sets and makes them kind of stretch as people I, i think it was really smart to include a new character so it's not just the same old buddies hanging out you know, there, oh, there, yes, I agree with that. That, that, that there is someone new to kind of uh, change things up and, you know, make them kind of question how they interact with each other as they get older. So I really like the inclusion of Max. Um, I think she's a really cool character. I know my, my wife really liked her as well because she felt like maybe she was being more represented in the show as well. And that, you know, she's a she's a gamer. And so she was able to kind of say, like, oh, cool, like there's a gamer girl who is, you know, better at video games than all of them. and like that's fine and you know it, it can be something that can be attractive and fun and and that you know that you can be a friend with and and so i think it's very valuable also just because a lot of nerd culture um sometimes can be very sexist 
derogative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so I think it's really valuable to have media that shows that a girl can be a gamer, she can be nerdy, but she she can also be strong and and you know a worthwhile character as well. And so you know, as opposed to a lot of other nerdy shows, say The Big Bang Theory, where it seems like the the female characters generally frown upon anything you know that would be considered nerdy you know as, as being childish and so i think it's it's valuable to have that sort of strong female character that is part of the nerd culture i want to make it clear that i definitely agree with that mm. i think she was a very big contrast to you know you have joyce who is this super paranoid you know overprotective mother who kicks ass yes uh and then you have nancy who's still trying to figure her shit out nancy um and so max was kind of that that happy medium between the two and i agree with you on all the points that you were mentioning that she kind of brings in you know to this nerdy little group that hey it's okay to be a nerd and be a girl and sometimes girls are better and that's okay i'm more saying just i was really upset that we didn't figure out their backstory until the very end of the season Mm -hmm. had i known that after at off the bat, I wouldn't have been so abrasive. I think I would have been a little bit more, okay, she's like this because of this. That's fair. And and I, I think it's also fair that, that maybe they kind of introduced the reasons for them, you know, the her and Billy kind of being as they are a little bit late in the game. It, it, it did feel kind of like, oh, like we forgot to explain that earlier. Let's put that in here. Like it, it, it was like a mystery without without it being warranted. I will say that. And I think that's what I'm trying to say is that there was just a lot of angst coming out of nowhere until the very end of the season. And then you were like, oh, OK. Yeah, I, I, I will give you that. Um, I do have a problem with Billy. I felt like Billy was too cartoonish for the series and his kind of villainy. You know, he was. He was super racist, and he was a jerk to everybody. And you know, he he was he felt like every bully stereotype that you've ever seen, plus you know a major sociopath on top of everything else. You know, all just shoved into one character, and and that yeah, that felt a little exaggerated and cartoonish. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And a lot of his subplots really just didn't matter in in the grand scheme of things. And if, if there's any problem I had with Stranger Things, is is that you know, when they finally had a, a new character who's kind of a, a male rival, you know, for the teenagers, you know, other than each other, then it was kind of interesting to, to like, they, I feel like they could have explored the dynamics more than just him just being a jerk, jerk to Steve over and over again. Right. And again, I think in a way, you know, Billy is now contrasting with Steve. You know, Steve did a complete change in Stranger Things 2. Steve is my hero now, and I hated him in the first Stranger Things. Yeah. Hated him. I, and I, I think that's also just a, a point to, to the, the great writing of the series is that, you know, a character that a lot of people, yeah, generally very much disliked became, you know, a very beloved character in season two because he grew as a person. And I and I love that each character had their own you know major character arc in each season, like very few shows actually take the time to do that. And they did that with almost every single character. And yeah, that's awesome. True. And I again, I just I feel like. Billy, in a way, is now contrasting Steve just as much as Max is contrasting, say, Nancy. Even though, again, Nancy had a lot of developmental growth Mm -hmm. in this season. Uh, You know, her and Jonathan's kind of side arc of, you know, justice for Barb. But still, there's just, there's so much going on, and it's so wonderful. And please just go watch Stranger Things. (laughs) (laughs) 
We swear and we're not getting a kickback from Netflix, though if Netflix does want to give us a kickback, we won't say no. It's true. It's true. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Billy's actor, Dacry Montgomery. I'm not sure if that's how you say his first name. Dacker, Dacry. I don't know. I think he did a fantastic job and just completely personified douchebag. Yeah, yeah, he did a, a really good job of, of being a hateable jerk. And there, there's definitely a, something to, to say about being able to do that. When yeah, from, from all the interviews and stuff I've seen of him, he actually seems like a, a fairly nice guy. So, uh, And he's a phenomenal new Red Power Ranger. So oh. you win some, you lose some. <laughs> well, I ha- I haven't seen the new Power Rangers yet, so... I know! We're fixing that this week. Okay, deal. <laughs> uh, let's move on and kind of talk about what we think is coming up. What we think Season 3 is going to be all about. And this is my favorite part about Stranger Things and good TV shows. I love theorizing and I love thinking beyond what we already know. Yes, I do as well. And and it's hard to stop thinking about Stranger Things, so yeah, my mind's been kind of running on this for a while. Um for me, something that just popped up in this conversation that we've had is obviously now the time travel future thing of well, what if the upside down is just our world paralleled, kind of apocalyptic, that type of a run. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think the biggest factor that's going to come into play is in season three is going to be eight or Kali. Yes. You know, they gave her a whole episode. You know, the demo dogs are attacking the hospital. Uh, you know, Bob just died. And then boom, we have a whole episode dedicated to Kali. The Duffer brothers aren't just going to waste screen time. They know what they're doing. Um, and the, you know, mythological occulty side of me knows that Kali is a Hindu god of destruction and, you know, chaos. And so for me, I really think the pull for season three is going to have something to do with her. She's going to be pissed off that Eleven left and somehow is going to be able to tap into the upside down and maybe do what Will was doing, kind of being the spy of the Mind Flayer but instead of fighting it, is going to accept it entirely. And be its servant? Exactly. Ooh. Kind of become the human mouthpiece of the Mind Flayer and search out maybe the other kids with the powers. That that could be a really compelling show. I mean, I would I would watch the crap out of that. Uh, it's Stranger Things. You would watch it if the Duffer Brothers like listed the ABCs. That's fair. <laughs> I would watch it if, if it was just a spin-off show about the adventures of Steve and Dustin. Let's be real. Uh, yeah, oh, Steve and Dustin. Yeah. Goals. Yeah. That, Goals. Their, by the way, their relationship in season two is one of the best things. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, yes. But that's, that's what I really think they're going to be pushing is now you know, kind of that gate into the Upside Down has been closed by Eleven in some incredible, incredible visual effects and just intense acting. Mm -hmm. I mean, Millie Bobby Brown in that final scene closing the gate was just, oh, she's so good. Yep, she really Um, is. That gate, though, has to be open. And we know at the end of Stranger Things 2, the Mind Flayer is still watching these kids. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, the Duffer Brothers aren't just going to leave Kali in the background to be forgotten. I I strongly believe we're going to see her again, but she's not going to be as forgiving and as kind to Eleven and the boys 
as we kind of were getting in the beginning. I don't know if if necessarily the conflict is going to be that like she's like pissed off at Eleven though. My kind of personal theory is that yes, she is going to be one of the main figure points in season three. Before you continue, I just pulled up a picture of the God Collie, mm-hmm. and it is a giant man with three eyeballs wearing a loincloth made of human arms, stepping on a dead human body with a severed head in one hand and a bloodied scimitar in the other hand, wearing a necklace of severed heads. So do you want to change your mind at all? (laughs) No. And I'll explain why. (laughs) And Kali's a goddess, excuse me, not a god. Hashtag women can be gods too. (laughs) Hashtag feminism. (laughs) Hashtag... We are, I, I don't know, I I need to go to bed. <laughs> Keep it's only four in the afternoon, good heaven. I know, I'm tired, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so my thoughts are that, you know, even though they, they parted away, it's not necessarily in the best terms. Uh, I don't think she's going to be actively against Eleven. I don't think that's the kind of relationship that they have. I, I think it's going to be more com- complicated than that, because, I mean, they do feel like they are each other's sisters, So I think kind of maybe what's going to be happening is that she is going to be trying to hunt down Dr. Brennan. Brenner. What is it? Brenner. Brenner. Okay. It's Brenner. Yeah. I can never remember which is the last letter in that name. Okay. So Brenner, I think she's going to be hunting him down because I do believe that he probably still is alive as was suggested in the end of season two. So I feel like she's going to be gathering assets to accomplish that goal. And I feel like maybe what she'll be doing is doing something along the lines of trying to open the upside down to kind of punish him in some way to, to you know unleash that sort of hellish dimension on him and, and those that are still working with him. And I feel like the good guys, you know, the, the team that we've been cheering for the whole time, you know, the the buyers and Hopper and, you know, Mike and Dustin and Lucas and Eleven and all of them, they're going to be kind of trying to stop them from doing that. And them, you know, trying to stop them from, you know, kind of opening up a, a gate to the to the upside down could be very well kind of what is perceived as a, as a threat. And so it's it's not necessarily that they're opposed to the goal of, of defeating Brenner, but they're opposed to like the means of doing so. And so, you know, the, the conflict would then kind of come from like they're each trying to do the right thing, but the methods that that Cal uh Callie and you know those associated with her and I'm and I assume it's going to ex- extend to more of the the kids with powers they're going to you know those methods are going to be potentially disastrous and I can agree with that I I mean my interpretation of Kali isn't obviously going to be as straightforward as I uh, got pissed and so now I'm just going to rain destruction on everyone that's not the Duffer brothers way mm-hmm. what I'm more feeling with Kali is you know she had this you know, pseudo familial relationship with Eleven when they were at the hospital Mm -hmm. and then Eleven was taken away from her. So what did she do? She created her own family. Then she meets up again with Eleven and, you know, they click really well. She becomes her, you know, kind of pseudo mentor and then she's rejected again. And so, you know, the real family that she has quote unquote with Eleven, Eleven has said no to twice And so if they do meet up again, you know, Eleven has obviously chosen the boys and Max over her. And I think that's going to be the last straw. I 
I can see that, but I don't think that that's where they're going to go with it. Who knows where they're going to go with it? Because it's the Duffer Brothers, and they're crazy. Yeah, honestly, (laughs) I I really didn't know what to expect with season two. Going into it, I, I. like going into it, I thought, hey, if it's almost as good as season one, I'll be pretty happy. Right. And it just was on par. Even better. Yeah. I don't even know if even better. I mean, it was just. It's, They're both it's just perfect. so good. It's true. My next question I wanted to put out there for season three is, do you think the mind flayer is the head honcho or do you feel like there's someone above him? Or her. The Mind Flayer can be a woman too. Hashtag feminism. <laughs> Hashtag Mind Flayers can be girls too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I honestly like the Mind Flayer is so kind of big and cosmically evil that I don't really see something bigger being necessarily the, the route that they go. I don't I, I feel like just if you keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and like, oh, there there's an overlord over the Mind Flayer. That just kind of starts feeling silly and contrived to me. Agreed. Agreed. I think the my, we've we've been introduced to the ruler of the Upside Down. Yeah, but I mean, just because it was blocked off, it doesn't mean it was defeated. So, you know, the Mind exactly. Player is still a big player and, and is still very scary and, and can still in ways, you know, make alliances with other powerful, dangerous people on our side of, of the Upside Down. Or on, on the right side up. <laughs> on the right side up, yep. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to talk about potentially appearing in season three? Nothing's coming to mind. I mean, you know, I I would love just more awesome actors that I love, like, you know, Sean Austin appearing in season two was, was super great. So just more great, iconic people from, I guess, you know, 80s stuff, like they've been going with, you know, with both Winona Ryder and him. Um, would be cool absolutely but even um, that it doesn't really matter as long as it's a good actor who's in the role so i got my parents to watch stranger things and one of the first things i heard from them about stranger things was max did you know samwise gamgee is in it You're like yes <laughs> yes yes i do mom and dad though i think i sure do <laughs> though i think he was chosen more for his previous role in like the goonies as opposed to <laughs> Uh, to Lord of the Rings, yeah, specifically. I would hope so. Just in just in that, it you know made sense as it you know kind of feels Goonies esque in certain ways. Well, I think to wrap it up, I think the last thing that we have to at least mention is how our podcast music is inspired by Stranger Things. Yes, or at least that's why we chose it. Is it very it had a very strong Stranger Things vibe? And when I heard that, I'm like, up, oh, and that's the thing we're going with. Yeah, and you sent it to me, and I listened to like two seconds of it. And I was like, "Uh huh, is what we're doing." Yep. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> so, I've been asked on multiple times, you know, or by by different people. So, is is that Stranger Things theme? Like, how did you get that? And I was like, "Oh no, it's not." Like, listen to Stranger Things again. But it's pretty. Yeah, well, I was I was showing Stranger Things to my brother and his girlfriend, and we were just there, and it was starting up, and she looks over at me, and she's a huge fan of the podcast, and she's like this sounds just like your podcast. It's like, yes, we did it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. Our homage to Stranger Things. And I guess one last thing I want to say about Stranger Things that will make our podcast a, a cool circle is that apparently uh, when the Duffer Brothers were first kind of looking to make their own show when they were uh, splitting off from uh, Wayward Pines, which they were uh, producers on, which is probably why at least the first season of, of Wayward Pines, I can't speak to the second season because I haven't watched it yet, uh, is pretty freaking good. But yeah, when they were kind of looking to make their own show, 
what they were originally hoping to do was actually make a, a TV series of it. And so hmm. just as so that kind of goes back to our first episode and then one of the kids in Stranger Things ended up being in it and both this podcast and the horror genre world is a giant circle of awesome. Thank you, Pennywise, for inspiring our podcast and inspiring the Duffer Brothers. Yes. <laughs> well, any uh, housekeeping that we want to do before we go? Uh, just a reminder to our listeners that the next episode we were wanting to do is going to be a big one. There's going to be a lot of research that has been done about as above, so below, and kind of the occult mythos behind that. I'm going to read all of Dante's Inferno in preparation. And I have a lot of hermeticism to study up on. That's going to be super fun. Yes, it will. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And that, and that will also continue my uh, ongoing lecture series about uh, the origins of horror. Oh, why, thank you, Nathaniel Darkish. Or should I call you Professor Darkish? Well, I, I'm not a professor yet. So, <laughs> someday, life goals. Someday. Uh, but again, if you love the podcast, please give us a shout out. Reviews are the best thing that we could possibly receive. If you love us, go on iTunes, go on Podomatic, go on Stitcher, and give us a five star with a little blurb of why you love our crazy voices so much. We would absolutely love it and appreciate that. Yes, and you know, thank you to everyone who's you know, mentioned us on Twitter or anything. It's, it's, once again, super helpful. Literally anything you can do to spread the word is amazing and wonderful and we appreciate it and really i mean that's that's how we're getting the word out it's just word of mouth and it's it's been spreading still much much more than i ever thought we could ever get so it's same here it's awesome and if you're on social media we have facebook page we have a twitter handle please just search for screen kings and you'll find us pretty quick and easy yes uh i guess we haven't uh done some specific thanks in a while so i wanted to just say a thank you again to simon matthewson who does our music uh we were you know ranting and raving about how good it is we still love it so much and and think that simon is awesome for having written it and making it free on the internet for us to use so that's awesome exactly and also uh thank you to my wife for our wonderful introduction that delights me every time i hear it i know it's kind of my favorite thing about our podcast yeah (laughs) The best thing about our podcast is something we didn't do. Well, we helped write it, but still. It's true. I also want to give a shout out to the other two podcasts that I am featured on. Uh, The first one being Monsters Out of the Closet, which is a wonderful horror story telling podcast focused on LGBT themes. It's a great and such a fun podcast. They do a lot of different things that you don't usually hear in the podcasting world. And then also I have got a parenting podcast that I just started with a good friend. It's called Dysfunctional Parenting. And we talk a lot about how to parent children if you are in a non-traditional family. And we had our first episode and it's been pretty well received. So if you have any interest in that, check us out. I don't have any other podcasting projects currently, but (laughs) I'm going to be shamelessly plugging my writing when I get published again. So you know and that's okay all right well again thank you for listening to us all go eat some egos and we'll catch you again on the upside down mouth breathers <laughs> <laughs>